Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Tonight we have a road trip with the panda. Not gonna say it. You shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a minute, just you and I. Yep, yep. Pandas, not panda, but polars usually here or Sierra. Samantha. Sam- Serial killers with Samantha. Slasher Samantha. Slasher Samantha. So, yeah. Yeah. So, believe it or not, tonight we're going to close out our paranormal trip to Poland. Did you get an opportunity to listen to the last episode about? I did not. Okay. Well, I wasn't prepared for today. I was just in the studio. Okay. Doing my own thing. And then, I guess I didn't check my schedule correctly. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's like when you're doing a summer project for school and you didn't know you had a summer project. Well, one of the interesting things that I discussed last week was they kind of had the real-life version, to some extent, of the Blair Witch Project happen in one of their forests in uh, near Krakow. Krakow? Krakow. Krakow. Yes. So, and uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but... When the movie came out, I was just like, oh, my God, this is just the greatest. And then I recently rewatched it. I thought, this is a terrible movie. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was ground-defying. I think, I think that's the first, I mean, I'm sure I'm wrong, but seeing how it's so old, um, I think it's the first, like, camera, camera-based movie, camera point-of-view movie. Right, POV, yeah. Yeah. Or at least one in oh, quite a while. But, uh, well, I guess that's, I can't really think of another movie where they shot most of it from a video camera or some sort of handheld object. Right. But, I mean, that was part of the thing about this Blair Witch scenario in Krakow is they found a video camera that they believe belonged to the students and they tried retracing their steps and it led to like this old abandoned village mm-hmm. that was known to have practice like satanic rites and stuff. So was that the inspiration for? I don't think so, but I mean, that wouldn't be surprising if later on so-and-so said. Okay. So that's, that's a listen I should go listen to. Me, well, for that part anyways. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> Are you going to go to Poland anytime soon? Oh. Actually. Oh, see, there it is. <laughs> after this, what we're going to discuss tonight, you may, and everybody else listening, may want to rethink this. Rethink Visiting Poland? Yes. Well, you should have told us of the Nazis before they invaded. Well, the Nazis invaded them in 19. 
1930 something. 38. After 1938. Oh yeah, this happened like real recent. Real recent. Okay. Well, before we go, I didn't listen to your last podcast. Did you already give a big shout out to to Brian at Bottle and Brush? I did not. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Well, a big shout out to Brian at Bottle and <laughs> Brush. For those who do are listening strong and keeping with us, most of us participated in a trivia night that we sponsored. We, as we the Dark Corners are, we sponsored with prizes and cash for the the grand pot for the competition. But we were just that good, and our team actually ended up winning. So it was kind of weird that we won, but we did. <laughs> but it was a great time still, and like I said, just a huge shout-out to Battle and Brush. They're always so much fun every time we go to visit and do whatever. So, Brian, if you're listening, thank you. And everyone else who works there, if you're listening, thank you for helping us host that event. We are actually going to sponsor a second one come October. Oh, that's right. A true crime one. Right, this one was Superhero Trivia Night. It was, I thought it was a good turnout. It wasn't as big, but I mean, it was still a good turnout. I think everyone had a good time. Brian, let me go up there and preach about us. Give it a little spiel. <laughs> preach about the corners, the dark corners. Where they are. Where they may or may <laughs> not be. <laughs> but he even chimed in, too. He did what was great. It was fantastic. He did a great job. and it felt like he, I'm, I'm assuming he listened to at least an episode or two. Did it sound like he did? It sounded like it. If not, I mean, he did a good job. Mm. All right. But, yeah, so I guess we'll see them for October for sure. Right, right. And we have no hand in the questions or anything. Just everyone was. Well, now they, now they think that. <laughs> <laughs> when we won, we, we, well, we weren't expecting to win anyways. It wasn't the, the three smartest of the Where the Dark Corners are group. So, but we did it. <laughs> I guess we know more superhero <laughs> stuff than we thought. Okay, well. Getting back to our closing, to close out our paranormal trip to Poland, okay? So we're actually going to close out with a really unbelievable story. So for me, this story unfolds in a way that I totally didn't see coming. Just like with the organ donation episode, you know, I thought I knew what I was researching until I learned that much more was happening with the recipients of the, of the organs. And this is exactly what happened to me again whilst researching this Polish particular topic. So to backtrack a little bit, when we did this, when we when we do the paranormal travel itinerary or haunt, haunted hot spots of a certain location, we typically go with a serial killer or something to that effect of the area close close to the area to close out, you know, the pairing. And I was actually looking at some Polish serial killers, and I actually had one in mind. He was a serial killer slash necrophiliac guy, you know, real sick fuck. But I wasn't exactly sold on him. It just kind of wasn't really sitting like, okay, this is my guy. This is my jam. So I thought I would take a second look, and I came across these crumbs. And by comparison to what I later learned, I really do mean crumbs of a story regarding what Poland, the Polanders, the Polish Polanders, call the Skin Hunters Murders. And to be clear, 
the Polish are actually very creative when it comes to nicknaming things. Like a lot of the serial killers that I was looking at, just you know, grazing through, they called them like the vampire of Krakow or the vampire or of Warsaw. I mean, they're not really vampires. They're just serial killers. So they kind of get a little inventive, if you will, uh-huh. with, with titles. But this is just so much worse. Now, as you know, I like to read like four or five articles, watch a YouTube video or two for my research to kind of understand. Because the better I understand a scenario, the better I can relate to the scenario. And I always love the little fine details to make it, like, I feel like complete. So... I kept coming across articles with the same exact information, and it wasn't until I came across a cited documentary located on YouTube that I was like, okay, well, hopefully this will give me some additional information. And I checked it out, and oh, my God is damn, okay? Now, this documentary is actually mind-blowing in, in, in essence of the information provided, but it's not as fine or fine-tuned as it could have been. There was just a little bit of gaps. It was a Swedish-made documentary. But, again, the information, and, and what it is is they're following a journalist who's uncovering as these events are unfolding in Poland. So... Before I get into great detail, I just want to say, I mean, this is unreal shit we're going to talk about here in a second. I mean, we see corrupt shit in America all the time, but this shit we were about to discuss, I'm serious. It really makes certain aspects of America look golden, like unreal. And I think for me, because of what happened recently, this kind of hits home a little bit harder. Now, the, the Skin Hunters Horror Fest begins back in the 1990s. But for context and understanding, it's actually best to kind of start and explain a few things going further back. As we all know, during World War II, the Russians invaded Poland to free them from the goddamn Nazis. They did. Yes. Only basically to keep Poland for themselves. They're like, mine, ours. And as most people know, as I did growing up, Poland was sat behind the Iron Curtain. They were? Yes. (laughs) And they were basically ruled and controlled by Russia until June 4th, 1989, when they started having free elections. We're not talking full free elections, but this was the beginning. Now, when the communists were finally gone, the free markets began to open up, including free markets pertaining to funeral homes. But in Poland, they call them undertakers. Okay? He's a wrestler. This isn't back. The undertaker? Yes. (laughs) In America. Anyways, as part of some of their new social services and programs, the Polish government also started giving out significant subsidies to pay for said funerals. Now, when this happened, people who were looking to make quick money began opening up funeral homes or undertaker homes. And I do mean a lot of people, a lot of businesses. Like, this is it. This is easy. This is what we can do. But the problem was, say, for example, you have 100 funeral homes, but only one or two deaths a day. So the probability of getting any business is very, very little. Next to none, you're basically sitting on your ass when you have so much competition. So thus begins what would later be dubbed the Skin Hunters Murders in Luds, California. California. <laughs> in Luds, Poland. Luds, not, California. Not California. So let's discuss how this seriously dark horror fest comes to light. To, and again, to provide some, some astounding 
historic background and context. We'll start with a man named Witold Kisradolsky. We'll call him Witold because that's easier for me. Witold takes over his mother's florist shop. His mother's name was Helena in 1990. From the florist shop that he takes over, he expands his business into one of these undertaker services, these funeral homes. Then in 1994, he gets elected into the city council. When he gets elected into the city council, he, being a Catholic, and just so everyone knows, like, much of Poland is very, very Catholic. Like, Poland is, like, definitely Catholic. Most deaf. Yes. He decides that he will donate all of his city councilman's salary to the Catholic Church. And when he serves a second time, he does the same thing. Well, when he does this, he manages to secure the sole authority to conduct funerals at the Catholic cemeteries. So, if you were Catholic and you wanted to be buried in a Catholic cemetery, you would have to hire him very specifically in order to conduct the services. Over time, Whittold will basically have 60% control over all of the funerals. He would eventually become one of the top three richest men in the city, but curious enough, Whittold wasn't allowed anywhere near the military academy hospital, which will be obvious for uh, f- as to why in a second. Now let's talk about a man named Wolik Samara. Samara was the son of a well-to-do attorney, but Samara was an artist, and artists don't artistry doesn't pay much, especially in a very impoverished country like Poland. So he decided to become a paramedic. Over time, he would shift from being a paramedic to owning his own undertaking business. Now, let's talk about a man named Jaget Tomalski. Tomalski is a is a pathologist, a coroner at the local military academy hospital. And as a side job, he would own his own morgue and provide the services of getting bodies ready for burials. Now, Tomalski was the president or a major major council member of the Association of Funeral Opportunists, which I don't even understand that title, but he was. And because Whittold had 60% of the market, they excluded him. They prevented him from being able to join this association. And at some point in time, Tomolsky started writing letters saying some bad things about Whittold. And afterwards, Tomolsky started receiving threats. His daughter started being followed. And his car would get basically caught on fire and burnt out. And he truly, truly believed that Whittold was behind this. And in addition to all these other things, Tomalski gets fired inexplicably from his position as the pathologist coroner from the hospital. They don't provide him with a reason. They don't, you know, they don't say you did this wrong, that wrong, or you failed. They just let him go. So he comes to believe that it's Whittle who's behind all this. Now, the man who was the city councilman, he's got a shit ton of money, and he's like the third. Richest man there, one of the top three. So, Tomolsky will later claim that he received a call from a man claiming to be a friend of a friend, and the man is offering to help him with his Whittle issue. So, after talking to this guy and meeting up with him like three separate times, he agrees to basically, on September 10th, 
to have Wittal killed. And he, in it, kind of in a, in a grand fashion way, he agrees to have him killed as he's making his way to a city council meeting. And he, he even agrees to the amount of 50,000 Soloskis, which I think is the dollar that they use sure. in Poland. And, I mean, he's thinking he's talking to a contracted killer, a contracted killer by the name of the, the Jerky Killer, like the Jersey Killer. So he gives him a down payment, a 25,000 Zolowskis. And it turns out that the man who called him was actually an undercover police officer. Nice. And so he gets arrested. As he's getting arrested... Tolosky feigns a heart attack. He dials 911 himself. I don't know if 911 is the actual number for uh, emergency services in Poland, but we'll do that. We'll just say that for American sake. And when the ambulance arrives, instead of taking him to the hospital, they take him straight to jail. <laughs> now he goes to court, and I have to tell you, the documentary shows the case proceedings. And holy shit, the, 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 and I'm using air quotes, the system of justice in Poland is highly fucking suspect, okay? You, it is unreal, the shit that just happens in this courtroom. The People are just talking, the, and how it supposedly works is the three judges with one leading judge does all the questioning of things. It's not really a, a prosecution, you're on the stand, you provide... I, I didn't see any evidence given. I don't know if the documentary was just shortened that way, but it's just really kind of highly suspect how they do things. So don't get fucking arrested in Poland, okay, guys? Because it's not going to work in your favor, judging by, by what I have seen. Per the documentary, he gets 12 years for the assassination attempt. Now, let's keep that little number in mind. 12 years. Now, to be clear, the documentary mentions two attempts on Whittle's life, but they don't expand on it, and nobody, and I couldn't find, it's like, there's a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of information on this case in English. There's a whole lot, or there's a significant amount in Polish, but it's, it takes some time to kind of gather that information. Anyways, after this happens, Whittle is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to purge this evilness. I'm going to go disclose the facts of the scandal. And he goes to the Polish newspaper, the Zygeta Wobokowska, and he reveals this dark, devious scenario playing out between the undertakers, the paramedics, and other medical and non-medical staff. The article that he gets basically published is released on January 23rd, 2002, and it will eventually lead to the arrest of 40 paramedics and other medical staffs. So why? What is this? I mean, what are we getting at? So you remember how I explained that the competition between the undertakers was exceedingly tough because there were more undertakers than actual bodies to provide a service to? Well, to gain the edge to get the customers the undertakers started reaching out to the paramedics to provide them with information on newly deceased people so that the undertakers could be the first to reach out to the families to provide services. And in addition to that, the undertakers asked the paramedics to recommend them should family members ask for a bribe for a fee. So basically, 
the undertakers was going to the paramedics and saying, if you let me know Mr. Joseph died today, I will pay you X amount. And if you let Joseph's family know about our business and only our business, I will pay you X amount. It's called advertisement. That's all it is. I don't see any problem so far. The thing is, is that when these fees adding up started to equal their salary, if not more, their actual salaries. So with this, with this, you know, second income, if you will, and the fact that they're basically living in poverty, otherwise combines to create a scenario where working for the undertakers become very, very lucrative. Too lucrative. But the undertakers don't stop there, okay? They also reach out to expanding their their bribery ring, if you will, to the 911 dispatchers and to the doctors. So the 911 dispatchers would actually start to hold calls of very sick people so that when the paramedics arrive, little, if anything, could be done for that person. Nice. And when they would hold the calls, then they the 911 dispatchers would reach out to the, the paramedics, the ambulance people, and say, hey, could you report that you got there sooner so it doesn't look bad for them? And in addition to the 911 dispatchers, they also re- expanded their bribing ring to the doctors. So basically the doctors would deem people dead who were not dead yet. Not only that, it also brings me to the other horrible thing that eventually begins to happen. Now you have a scenario where you can make double your salary if you provide dead people's information, but what if it's the slow month and people aren't dying and you need the extra cash? Kill. It is an incentive (laughs) for what happens next. Basically, the paramedics, the 911 dispatchers, and the doctors start to burk and hair. Remember those guys? People. For their bodies, for cash. Right. For those who don't know who burk and hair is or haven't listened to the episode since it was almost two two years years ago, ago. (laughs) they would basically lure them somewhere and take care of them. To sell their body parts to to the school. Not this case. Not body parts. Their whole bodies. Correct. (laughs) In the 90s. So, how the paramedics, who are now supplementing their income, again, if you don't know what Burke and Hare is, they basically, it's cash for corpse. Here's how the paramedics, how the people learn how the paramedics are doing it, because this is just unreal. A new chief physician by the name of Dr. Roman Krocek actually starts to notice that there seems to be a high death rate in the patients brought in by the paramedics. He goes and checks his supplies and notices that Pavilon, a strong muscle relaxer, seems to be getting used a lot. But the problem is, is that the medication needs to be used with an incubator. And he sees, he goes and he looks, and he sees that none of the incubators are being used by the paramedics, but he sees this medicine being used. So he reports this to the police. And the very thing about this drug is if it's not properly used, if it's totally misused, if it's administered directly, this drug will be 
will bring a very painful death to the person it's administered to. So, like I said, you need the incubator to use it, but if you administer directly to the patient, they will suffocate because the muscle relaxer is so potent, so strong, it will relax every part of the body to the point that it even relaxes their lungs, meaning they are unable to expand their lungs to take in air, and hence they suffocate as a cause of death. They can't move, they can't speak, they can't cry out, they can't breathe. So basically, they're conscious, but suffocating, alive. Yeah, you're paralyzing. The, you're, uh, you're that sleep paralysis demon medicine for. Right. And if that's not enough, for certain points, instead of bringing the dead bodies to the hospital, some paramedics, and you said it earlier, just ended up taking the bodies right to the untakers. In fact, one of the cases that I read, there was a case where there was a woman who needed medical attention. She would have been okay. But it was actually shift change for one of the paramedic, one of the ambulance drivers. And so, you know, they, they roll up in two, or I don't maybe in Poland they roll up in two. But so the, the other guy just parked the ambulance, was smoking a cigarette, waiting for his shift change, and in essence waiting for the lady to die. And once he got his new partner in the ambulance, they just straight drove her directly to the undertakers. They didn't even give her an opportunity, a fighting chance to live. Now, to be clear, the families would actually be charged the fee, this thank you very much fee, as, you know, these bribes as part as the payment to the undertaker. So, like, if once they took her to that one undertaker, you know, the families are distraught that their beloved one had just died, they're like, oh, they're at so-and-so's undertaker? Okay, yeah, we'll just go with them. So they don't even argue, you understand. So they know it's a shoo-in. So as part of the fees, they actually pay the bribe to the ambulance driver who just killed their, their beloved person. So this is huge. Once this article gets released, they rope in 40 people connected to this type of crime. Now, in the documentary, the leading journalist actually meets with Selder, the 911 dispatcher, who on camera admits to taking the bribes. And as far as I know, he never gets arrested. But the prosecutors, when this roundup begins, actually do get a few confessions. And one of the confessions comes from a man they dub the Pavilion Man. His name is Andrusk Navakoyan. At first, Navakoyan admits to 11 deaths, but changes his story to four. And during the investigation, he actually points his finger to Whitold, and he says in front of the judges that Whitold himself bribed him. Hmm. Now, another paramedic by the name of Carol Bannis gets arrested, and I, I didn't get a whole lot of information, but he gets convicted for the murder of a woman by the name of Lum. Ludmila S, we don't know her last name, and for helping Andresgi uh, Novakowin murder one of his other patients. And apparently this particular murder was pretty fucking brutal. So aside from the two paramedics, two doctors actually get arrested. A doctor, Joas Poloniski, and a doctor, Pavel Walski. 
A lot of, a lot of Polish names there. Oh, now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who that? It actually should be noted that in the documentary, one of the paramedics who got arrested actually points the finger at Dr. Roman Krocek being one of the doctors who's also on the take as well. However, once this blows up, once this goes fucking AWOL, Dr. Roman Krocek actually checks himself out, supposedly, self-checkout, with, a minist- with an administration of poison, and he dies. So, on January 20th, 2007, literally four years after the article originally gets published, Noah Cohen gets sentenced to life for the murder of four patients. They, d- they didn't even try looking, okay? And for helping Carol Bennis with one more, like an accessory. They will later say that he will eventually confess to a cellmate. I mean, he's in jail for life. Mm-hmm. That he himself probably murdered more than 50 people. Mm-hmm. Carol gets 25 years for the particularly cruel murder of Lumila and for helping Noah Cohen. So he's there for a long time. And these prisons, I mean, these are former Russian prisons. I mean, we're not looking anything very right, pretty. Right, it's not, it's not, you know, state prisons. Correct. So now, here, here's a part where I kind of go, hmm. Dr. Kolinsky gets sentenced to six years. And he's banned from practicing medicine for ten years for willfully endangering ten patients. So... To retract, Tolominsky attempted to kill somebody. He gets 12 years. Man lives. The doctor gets sentenced for six, just six, Mm -hmm. for endangering 10 patients' lives. Dr. Pavel Walskoliski gets sentenced for five years and banned for practicing medicine for 10 years for willfully endangering four patients. So they're basically saying, yeah, we know that you took these bribes. Yes, we know you put these people's lives in danger, but we're not going to take your license away. And after this t- period of time, you can go back to, to being a doctor. Well, just because he's a doctor doesn't mean his <laughs> credibility is ruined at that point. They should have taken away their shit. I mean, it. that's just it, though. It's like You are fucking done. That's why they're going to prison for 10 years. Or one of them was? No. No. Yeah. You said it. Ten years, yes. Yes. Ten years and five years. Polinski right? is ten years and five years. But they should lose their license. They do for years. But now but the, here's the thing is is like now you have that on your right, you've been to prison and you lost your license. And so if you try to get a job again, you probably won't get a job with whatever it is you're doing. Well, well they, no, that's the way it should be. You should never be able to be near a patient again, the end. It's it's not about whether it should. That's just how it is. I tell you, it's too late. <laughs> no, they should have. This whole thing. I mean, how old are these guys? It's fucking unfathomable. How old were these guys? Do you know? That they killed? No. How old were the doctors? I don't know. Well, they're probably already well, I, 40s. Without a doubt, the fact that Poland is economically depressed, that people are are basically impoverished, this contributes to it, I, and I understand that. But you don't get to kill other people's family members. But they didn't kill anybody. 
They jeopardized. They well. They shouldn't be jeopardizing anybody's health. No, I'm not saying they should be. I'm not saying they're the good guys here or they're wrong for what happened to them. But what I am saying is that the law, the law has it that way for these guys to get away with things like that. It's did, fucking unfathomable. You have proof that they're that they die, but did they die? Just like fucking old boy. But did you die? <laughs> they didn't die. If they would have died, he would have been fucked. Maybe. Now they do actually. All four of these actually do appeal. And it seemed like they all get roped in on all their crimes together because the appeal courts basically uphold their convictions in 2008. And then the Supreme Court of Poland, which I don't even, after the debacle that I've seen on this documentary, I mean, they shouldn't even have the word justice on their fucking court systems. But the Supreme Court of of Poland even further appeal upholds their convictions on October 27th, 2009. Now, supposedly the investigation is ongoing. It is now 2023. And these are the only four. Again, the 911 dispatcher doesn't get held accountable for. And in the documentary that was released shortly after this whole scenario, Going back to the, the original three men, it is Samara, the, the guy, the paramedic, says when he became a, an undertaker that he too himself would bribe paramedics with TV sets, with sofa, vodka, chocolates, cognac, flowers. He's free. For Tomalski, like I said, he got 12 years for the attempted killing of the city councilman. And on the documentary, his wife will admit that it was a mistake marrying him, that she did not love him, and the only reason why she married him was because she had a six-year-old daughter. So it's not even his daughter. Now, Tobolsky will say he contacted the police about Latol, the prosecutor, and even the Central Investigation Bureau, but nobody has done a single thing because this man is Alfrey. Now, remember what I said. The one of the gentlemen, one of the ambulance drivers, one of the paramedics that was arrested, he says in court that he was in fact bribed by Withtall in front of the, these precious three judges with Withtall standing there. And he says, Yes, I was paid bribes by this man. He even says, you know, eventually he couldn't just pay us outright. We would have to go. We would be given an address of a floor shop, which, again, he owned. And we would go pick up our money there. And so here you have a scenario where this man is saying, yes, yes, he did. Would you believe absolutely nothing happened to him? Yes. Matter of fact, the very next day in the Polish paper after all this huge scandal breaks out. I mean, people were so pissed off that this even happened. They riot. They start throwing rocks and start attacking ambulance, ambulance drivers, paramedics, and and the doctors because of the bullshit that goes down. Wow. So when they, this man says, yes, he did it, and now you have Tomalski saying, yes, he's been m- motherfucking shady, would you believe none of the Polish papers printed that? Why? 
Again, he was a city council member. Oh, must have been a good. But guy. also, as it was, the very next day, John Paul, the Polish Pope, died. So he, Witold, being the good Catholic boy that he is, heads him, takes his, scurries his ass to Rome to pay his respects, and to see the burial of John Paul. So not only is this man been pointed out, been fingered to be part of this entire ring that he just exposed, he's allowed to leave the country. Nobody says anything about it. But in the documentary, I shit you not, he admits to bringing the paramedics wine, flowers, vodka, and money. He admits to it. Nothing fucking happens to him. Matter of fact, he even gets elected for a third term as a city councilor. So whose fault is it really? His! The, f- the people's! <laughs> the shady motherfucking government. And he gets elected again. And he gets elected again. In fact, his daughter is now a politician in Poland. Now, during the course of their supposed investigation, it is believed that this basic scenario of basically killing patients in the ambulance began as back far back as the 1990s. At least 20,000 people were murdered and about a billion dollars exchanged hands between the undertakers and the skin hunters. And why are they called skin hunters? Well, they refer to the dead patients as skins and the people who killed them, who were hunting them, were called the hunters. Now, one of the most horrifying moments for me was a very casual comment made by Whittall in the documentary for me. He says, it is best, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, it is best (laughs) to tip your paramedics so that everything goes well. Now, that is a motherfucking scary thought to me. Why? To tip the paramedics? Yeah. You should anyways. No. Why? Are you kidding me? No. But the bottom line is he's kind of telling you the truth because a group actually did, like a some group in Poland actually did a study, and they found that an overwhelming amount of patients felt like they were expected to bribe the medical staff in return for good treatment. That is not what healthcare is all about. And if you feel like if you don't pay them a little extra to actually get the care you need, you've got a fucking corrupt system. So, so it's bullshit. It's all fucking corrupt. Yep. But it is never should never be acceptable that you could potentially die for someone to get a bribe off of you. That's just wrong. All right. That's what we have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. If you're curious or interested, would like to join, send us a request. But in the meantime, if you have a place or a dark corner that you topic that you would like us to discuss, send us a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember only the view can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are.